Good morning, everyone. This is the last week of Genesis, and it's funny, as we've been walking through Genesis, I've also been reflecting a lot on my childhood for the last month, uh, mostly coming up with things I have to apologise to mum and dad for. Sorry, guys. Um, I'm one of four, the unlucky eldest, uh, and when I was younger, I was a runner. Not an athletic, oh, winning all the medals, runner, more of a, where's Rebecca, runner. We would enter a location, I would see something that intrigued or interests me, and I was gone. I didn't care where my parents were, I didn't want to stay next to my mum. Doesn't she know I've got fun things to do, places to see, environments to explore? Why do I have to stay next to her? Sorry, Mum and Dad. And I think part of my nostalgic month has been, as we've been looking through Genesis, we have time and time again seen a people trying to separate themselves from God, not realising that the best place for them is by God's side. We started the series off in Genesis with Genesis 1, God said and he created and it was good. We learnt that Eastern mindset was more about a linguistic poem at the, in these stages. And then sometimes our wooden Western uh, thought pattern, which takes it literally, doesn't quite get to the depths of the words that are in the Bible and that we can explore. So in Genesis 1, we saw God as creator, a good creator, a loving creator, a creator who was able to create order peace and rest out of chaos. We then looked at the human race, the creation of Adam and Eve, and they were placed in Eden, and God said it was very good. We had relationship at all levels. We saw the Trinity. We saw God to humans, humans to humans, and humans to the earth, and it was all good. We saw that we inherently have been infused with value because God has imparted his image in us. We had purpose. We had value. And we were asked to rule and look after the earth that was the blessing from God. We were also asked to fill the earth and multiply. It then took a dark turn as we had a look at the fall and Adam and Eve chose to listen to the words of the serpent and trust in those words rather than in the loving God and Father, thus introducing sin into all of our hearts where we constantly are pulling away from God saying, I want to do it my way. Are you holding something away from me, God? What are you withholding from me? Yet God in his grace was able to still cover them Keep them safe. There was punishment, but there was also a promise, a promise of a future where one of Eve's offspring would crush sin's head, would crush the serpent's head and deliver us from sin. It didn't get much better in Cain and Abel. As we saw this sin permeate and result in the first recorded murder, where Cain, with an unchecked heart, decided to let his bitterness, his jealousy, his pride build up to a point where he decided to kill his own brother. Yet again, though, we saw God come in, and while there was punishment, there was also grace and redemption and protection for Cain. Last week, Scott spoke about the days of Noah, 
how sin now had permeated so much in society that their intent was evil all the time. And God was actually grieved to have created human beings. Yet even though he was grieved to create human beings, he was able to place judgment, but also demonstrated his grace in saving Noah and his family. He selected someone to, on, because he is faithful to his salvation story, he chose to show grace. He is faithful to his humanity, which he created. He chose to save Noah and his family. Again and again and again, the message is repeated, we sin, God saves. We sin, God saves. And it is God's redemption that is such a beautiful thing that has been shining through over and over again. Now, from Noah, we're now moving about 100 to 150 years later to the time of the Tower of Babel. Now, the Tower of Babel is a story I think we can struggle with because we've heard it a fair few times. But because I think we see a lot of strong parallels between our own lives, our own society, and the people's. We get confused and defensive thinking God is against humans working together or progress. We get this sense that the punishment kind of outweighed the sin. And what was the sin anyway? To help sort some of that out, the context is really important. And the context is pretty much all that we've been walking through for the last month. The, from chapter 1 to 11 is one part called the patriarch, pre-patriarchal era. Got it. And we'll see the similar linguistic stylings in this, the poetry used, but also the similar themes that are repeated again. Sin, salvation, grace, redemption. So let's start from verse 1 to 3. Now the whole earth had one language and a common speech. As the people moved eastward, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make brick and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of, instead of stone and tar for mortar. Now this actually seems like a good start. Everyone unifi is unified. Languages come together. Progress is happening. Brick is actually forming technology. Yet there are a couple of indications that things aren't as peachy as they seem to be. And the first indication is the word east. East in the Bible doesn't necessarily depict a straight line from west. It's not necessarily a styling of direction, but more a condition of heart. It can depict the separation and the um, drawing away from God for a people or a people group. For example, in Cain and Abel, in Genesis chapter 4, at the end, Cain uh, departed, went away from the presence of God, settling in the east. So when we hear the word east here, it's this heart condition of separation from God. The next red flag is the group settled. Now, in Genesis chapter 1, at the, at the end of the creative narrative, when Adam and Eve has, have been created, God has blessed them and told them, go, multiply, fill the land. Again, after the story of Noah, in 9.1, God has 
brought the family together and blessed them and instructed them, saying, multiply, fill the earth. Yet here we have a society that has separated itself from God in heart condition and is willing to settle there. From the following verses, we can see the outworking of this. So from verse 4, they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Since the fall, we have had that battle of choice between walking with God to live understanding our place in creation, who we are as created beings valued by God, or to dethrone God and live as we are the greatest authority seizing control and seeking value elsewhere. And here in Babel, we see a city, a city filled with individuals, family and society, with a united voice seeking security, not in God, who has told them to fill the whole earth, but in themselves, in their fortified cities, behind their walls, behind their brick and mortar, and fortified that position with their own efforts. They trusted in the work of human hands, tangible objects that gave the illusion of control and security because it's something we can work towards. We can see ourselves, touch ourselves. It's less unknown because we are the creators. We are able to theoretically control it because we are the masters of that and separating ourselves from the true creator. The people are striving for self-sufficiency through control of the environment and security, safety, salvation by their own works. So not only is this a city seeking to create security, they have this tower to the heavens demonstrating their desire for greatness, significance and power. This would have been a step-like building and it would have been a temple, and it would have been the pinnacle of the city. It would have been considered as a gateway to the gods, where the gods could descend, but more importantly for them, it was a place that they wanted to ascend, to place themselves as gods in the heavens. Reminiscent of Adam and Eve, the people have forgotten their God-given place and their God-given value. They think they, there is more, that there is greater things that God's withholding from them and they're going to get it by their own strength. God, gods, with their own names in greatness, securing their will and their vision for the future. Very much like rejecting God's given purpose and place they want to be independent of the voice of God over their lives, over their conduct as society and who they are as a people. They will be masters of their own universe and write their name across the sky. They will have fame, their name, their legacy will be immortalized in all of time. And it's by their own strength they will be valued, adored, they have secured their position and claimed independence and greatness by their own hands, by their own strength. And why? Why go to all these lengths to create themselves as indestructible? They knew, they knew settling into a society 
was rejecting God's instructions. They knew that this was an, a rebellious action against the blessing and instruction of God, which was multiply and fill the earth. The people even recognized it. We read, otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. You hear the insecurity of the, in the voice of the people. Their fear, their fear of the unknown being split up, separated from their comforts. They choose to go inward and trust themselves and what they can tangibly hold and, and build rather than giving up control and trust to God who ultimately knows who they are and the pitfalls that will come before them. We still do this. We still build up things in our own lives that we feel like we can trust, that we feel security in, that we feel value in. It might be money, education, work, family, the house, the adventure, the health, the things other than God we use to fill us, that we hope in. And it's all destructible brick. Trusting God looks different for everyone, and it is hard because we can't control God. We can't tell him what to do, and that unnerves us. But he is God, our loving God and our creator. And in faith, we can put our trust in him. We can do this daily. And if we fail once, we've got the opportunity to try again. God is always there. So here we have a centralized society with one language. As I mentioned before, the instruction was multiply and fill the earth. And if we think about this for a second, spreading out would have naturally have created diversity. As people groups settled and developed land in different areas, they would have developed their own culture, their own language, their own customs. They would have been separated in location, but there would have been a unity in, who, in their decision to trust in God. There would have been a unity of who they were in God. They might have been diverse, but there would have been a God-given unity because they trusted and had faith in God. A people choosing to trust themselves, to grasp for power, control over the location, control over the structure of society, over who God is. And while I'd love to say, yay, humans working together, historically, when we strive beyond the capacity and try to control all aspects of life, this has historically resulted in oppression and fear where the marginalized and the vulnerable are silenced. The Tower of Babel was a proverbial middle finger to God. And I don't say this to be crass, and I don't say it for shock value, but to express the depths of what has happened in this situation, the reality that the people have not just turned their backs on God, but have aggressively told him to leave, because they have life sorted. And we miss the significance of this in our individualistic, autonomous, misindependent, post-Christian Western society. 
We are, we, we are capable of living a day and not even think about God. We have roads, cars, hospitals, schools. We have food in the shops, entertainment, distractions galore, that we are desensitized to the fact that sin has permeated individual, family, and societal life. We don't even realize that we presume to know more than God, to know better than our loving God, that as a society, we have a societal belief that we don't really need God. He's an optional extra. Do you feel the weightiness of this? The sadness of the situation? The attitude of me on top of the tower of my own life rather than God where he has every right to be? We continually tell God to step back, to let us do what we want. And it's a battle we constantly face. But by God's grace, God does not leave the situation as it is. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. I love this verse. I like this verse because it reminds me that the authors of the Bible can be sassy. This tower that was going to reach to the heavens was the greatest thing in all the city with basic destructible brick, was going to tower over all. It was so amazing that God had to come down to see it. It doesn't even matter if this tower would have been built by the strongest substance known to humankind. It doesn't matter if it would have towered to the moon. God still would have had to have come down to see it. In this one sentence, we see the accurate scale of God and humans. God is the creator of the universe. He is above time and above all creation, which includes us. We are that child in the shopping centre who thinks they don't need to stay with their parent, who believes more in their own ability and wants to run and explore more than the reality. Our distorted perception of our own greatness is humbled in the presence of God. So we have a society that is aggressively telling God to go away and a reality check that the tower is more significant in the hearts and the minds of the people than the building actually is impressive. From verse 6 we read, The Lord said, If as one people, speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. Now, it is so important not to read this section in isolation, but in the context of everything that has already come. We as humans have this trigger that we hate being told we can't do something. What do you do when you see a sign that says, grass, and stay off? Wet paint, don't touch. No entry. I know I want to at least put a toe on the grass. I want to touch and see how wet the paint is. I want to peek behind the no entry sign. That's even if I notice the no entry sign. 
So this understanding and this mentality we have in our head, we bring it into the human-God relationship. So when we read, nothing is impossible for them, let's confuse them, we become defensive and think God is against us, is against what we can do and is keeping us from our full potential, the fun and amazing stuff. There must be more. Doesn't he know how great we can be? And we're back in the garden with Adam and Eve. We need to correctly understand what God is disrupting. It's not the technology. It is the unrestrained pride that sought autonomy from God. From It's the people usurping God from the divine to place self in the center of life. The city, the tower... They were just expressions of an internal decision to replace God and create a nation with unchecked ambition that was untethered from the source of life. It is the why of the event that is so important. That is so important for us today. It is the why of our own lives that continues to be the question. Why are we doing what we do? Why am I acting the way I do? Why am I responding the way I do? Why am I striving for the things I do? Is it because of insecurity and hurt? Is it because I'm placing more trust in myself than in God? Is it because I'm striving for value that's already mine? Is it because I'm trying to make a name for myself? Or is it to honour God? What would happen if we introduced the why question more often into our decision-making, our everyday life? And not just why, oh, it feels good. Why does it feel good? Oh, I liked it last time, it went all right. Why, why? And chase that why right down to the core of it. Is it for love? Is it for fame? Is it for God? Is it for anger? Is it out of fear or bitterness? Why? God came down to be for them, like a parent who tells a child to stay close, not only knowing the abilities of the child, but the dangers and the pitfalls that would be better experienced with the parent, not separate. Yes, the people were capable of a lot. There might have even been aspects of society that would have been beneficial. Yet it was the trust in self-works, self-ambition, with a heart that was separate from God, seeking to replace God. When we look to ourselves as the pinnacle of life, other than being too great a load for us, it feeds into this illusion that we don't need God, that there was no creator of the universe, no God who made each and every one of us and loves us, who is greater than us and still knows us by name. It is the issue, not the issue with technology, it's the issue of the heart. And even if we start arguing whether or not this society would have turned out good or bad, we are missing the point again. It is our pride that categorise people as good or bad, that categorise people at all. Because no one is perfect and that's what God asks for. No one can save themselves. The question is, with God... Or without God? 
Autonomous and for self denies the presence of God and therefore the fractured relationship we have because of the sin in our own hearts. And in denying God, it denies the salvation that we desperately need and it puts us on top of the food chain and creates this illusion that we're okay. There's nothing that needs to happen. We can do this on our own. Yet it's all a lie. With God is living in freedom, not bogged down with creating my own name, that understand I'm not the king of the castle. So that means I don't have to have it all together. I don't have to have it under control. That God has placed value in humanity and he cares about the why and the how we do things. As David Atkins puts it in his Genesis commentary, heaven is not to be grasped at by human ambition. Heaven is found as a gift of grace. We are control freaks trying to grasp the very gift that is freely given to us. So therefore, yes, God confused the languages of the people and scattered them through the world. Rather than letting the society delve into this confused state where humans were the only higher power in mind and heart, God intervened so to preserve the relationship he had with humans, but also to preserve the salvation story he was writing out for all of history. He was protecting them because they were destroying themselves by disconnecting from the very one who gave them life. And in general, we struggle to see the difference, even in our own lives. We can see God as this bully who's telling us what to do and stopping us from doing what we want to. Yet he's a loving, good, gracious God who wants the best for us and is for us, not against us. So the building stopped. The people spread out across the earth. We are told it was called Babel because God confused the languages of the whole world. And while we might feel like the Tower of Babel finishes on a despondent note, there is hope and grace in the story. The people sought their own security through their own power. They demanded for their own value and their own legacy through human efforts. They looked inward to themselves to be the source of all of this. Rather than trusting in God, they trusted in the own works of their hands. So God intervened because he is faithful to his works. He's faithful to salvation. And I find relief in this. I find comfort that I don't have to be the source of my own value. It's not based on what I achieve, what I do or earn. I don't have to be the one who rallies strength up in every situation, relying on just me. We don't have to be great. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to save ourselves because we can't. But God is faithful. God is perfect. And God has and does intervene. And he saves. God has seen the promise he made to Adam and Eve throughout from the start of the Garden in Eden and he will see it right through to Revelation. Today we celebrate Palm Sunday, a time where we also reflect on a time where God intervened. 
God became flesh and became a man, Jesus. And because he was faithful to his salvation story, because he loved us, he took on humanity and he died the death we couldn't die and saved us from the sin that we couldn't get rid of. Because of his death, burial and resurrection, we can have a relationship with God. We can have uh, with God moments every day because he has given us the strength to do so. Jesus was perfect. Jesus was the only one without sin. And every day there is an offer to all of us, no matter your standing, no matter your background, no matter where you came from or where you are now, there is always that offer for God to say, come to me, trust me, loosen control and trust in me. In the Tower of Babel, we see unity in this controlled sameness. Yet in God, there is a celebration of diversity that is unified in Jesus. And we even see this in the New Testament from the very days of Pentecost, where before a large crowd, the truth of God's love and salvation through Jesus was spoken to in different languages. In Acts chapter 2, the crowd, the multitude, look at them all there. All of them heard the message of Jesus spoken in their own language. They didn't understand the language of the disciples. That wasn't the point. They heard the language of their native tongue. God was celebrating diversity in this. We don't all speak the same language. We don't worship the same. But this is a great thing. The unity we have is not in our sameness. It is as the identity of children of God. It is something we can celebrate in our different ways. And where the celebration was, we see an even bigger celebration of multiple nations in the book of Revelation, where we have this picture of a throne room where sin is no longer an issue, with multiple nations, tribes, and languages who confess Jesus as their saviour, worshipping together. There is beautiful, diverse unity. Today we remember Jesus entering into Jerusalem, celebrated by the people. Only in a couple of days do they change their opinion and with a united voice yelled out, crucify him. In those words, they condemned him and killed him by hanging on the cross. It was their sin and it was our sin that put him there. And Jesus did it. He did it for each and every one of us. He took our sin to the grave, but he also rose again and he gives us life. God intervened. Throughout Genesis, we have seen God working hard to save us despite ourselves. He has persisted, he has been faithful, and he, in, he continues to include us on the journey. Continually, when we thought we could be more, when we thought we could do it ourselves, when we thought we could live life as our own kings, our own gods, God intervened. 
not just in the Tower of Babel, but also as Jesus. And even today, He continues to give us strength through His Holy Spirit to allow us to walk with Him in His strength, by His might. We don't have to have it all together. We don't have to look at ourselves and go inward for the strength. We can release it and hand it over to God. And that's all He asks us to do, to let go of the illusion of control, to surrender trust to Him, to trust Him more than we trust ourselves. And for a moment, I just want us to close our eyes and I just want us to think of our life and whatever aspect of your life that you think, that we think, that we can release to God a bit more, that we can trust in God more than what we trust in ourselves, that we might be gripping onto control a bit too tightly. This might be a situation, this might be a relationship, this might be circumstance or finance. This might even be the final step into committing to God in your life, in surrendering to Him as God. We thank you, God, that you intervened. We thank you, God, that you continue to intervene and that you are extending your hand to rescue us from destruction into life and salvation. Thank you, God, that you are bigger than us, that you do know more than us. There might be aspects of our life, God, that we really don't understand at the moment, that we're struggling with and that are hard. And I pray you give us the strength to let go of control. You help us in faith that we can trust in you more. And we surrender to you. Thank you, God, for what you have done on the cross and what you continue to do with us today. Thank you that as in the Tower of Babel, you intervened and that you see us and know what's best for us. We give it all to you, God. Show us where to grow. Show us where to learn. And I pray you give us the strength to do that. Thank you, God.